Like Bob on Facebook at facebook.com slash Live. You know anything about the ocean? And by the way, I love the ocean. As you know, I grew up in Southern California. I was not a beach bomb. I was not a surfer, but I always loved going down to the beach. Joy and I, some of our fondest memories are times that we've spent on a beach here or there. Today would be a really good day to go to the beach. Well, not here in Ohio. Uh, Anyway, if you know anything about the beach, the tide, the tide comes up, the tide goes down, the waves come in, the waves go out, in, out, the tide, the tide, the tide. Well, that's kind of the way the medical community is. The tide comes in, the tide goes out. The uh, medical community, uh, you know, embraces truth, and then the tide goes out and they embrace pure emotionalism. No, it's true. I have great respect for modern science. I do. But they don't always have a great track record. I've mentioned this over and over and over again. Lobotomies. That was the psychiatric community, but it was also the medical community. Settled science. If we can't help a person through counseling and therapy, we just cut out part of their brain. What could go wrong with that? We look back on that and we go, Oh, my goodness, they didn't really do that, did they? Yeah, yeah, they, they really did. And then, I mean, if we go back far enough, you know, the bloodletting, most people believe that that's why George Washington died. The settled science of the day was you had this bad stuff in your blood, and once that bad stuff got in your blood, you had to let it out. So you put leeches on or you cut someone. And you let blood. That's what blood letting was all about, letting the bad stuff out. We look back on that and go, are you kidding me? Doctors really believe that? Uh-huh. Yeah, they, no, they, they really did. And there are hundreds of illustrations of advanced medical science that we look back on now with horror. Well, I continue to say it. We're going to do the same thing with transgenderism. We're going to look back like with lobotomies, with shock treatment, with bloodletting and other scientific procedures that were horrible and they were just flat wrong. Well, the tide goes in, the tide goes out. There is at least one elite medical organization that is now admitting that gender transitioning can give permanent detrimental results. Yeah, the Society for Evidence-Based Gender Medicine has released a report indicating, you know, this whole transgenderism thing may not be as great as we thought. Some of the things that they discovered. When someone transitioned from male to female, female to male, and then they realized, oh my goodness, this was bad, this was wrong, this is terrible, and I want to detransition. Only 13% of those detransitioners received help 
from the LGBTQ world organizations when detransitioning, compared to 51% who received support when they transitioned. Now, what does that tell me? They don't care about the well-being of the individual. They have an agenda. They don't care about the well-being of the individual. If they did, the LGBTQ community wouldn't care whether they were transitioning or detransitioning. Their position would be, hey, whatever is best for you. Nope. 51% of those transitioning got help from different LGBTQ organizations. Only 13% received any kind of help or encouragement when they were detransitioning. Quote, most detransitioners reported ongoing needs related to managing comorbid mental health conditions, 65%. Finding alternatives to medical transitioning, 65%. And coping with regret, 60%. Those numbers are huge. 60% of transitioners felt regret. Anyway, it's an interesting study. Uh, It was also mirrored in a report from the Royal Australian and New New Zealand College of Psychiatrists, the RANZCP, the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists. What does that tell me? Those in the medical community who are honest, who are honest, are more than willing to admit, you know what, this whole trend, this fad of transgenderism could be really bad for those who want to be honest. All right, uh, I see we got a phone call. Fred in Dublin wants to talk about military recruitment. I've already passed that, but that's fine. I didn't see the phone call until just now. Fred in Dublin, Ohio, welcome. Thanks for calling. You're on Bobberty Live. Hey, Bob. Thanks a lot. I, uh, yeah, I was I was driving on the way home. I heard your story about the uh, recruiting problem, and and I, I can speak to that a little bit. I I am uh, I'm a Navy veteran. I was in 21 years, and uh, I at one time here in Ohio. Uh, I was the public affairs officer, public relations officer, if you will, for really? Navy recruiting in Ohio. Wow. And, you know, it, it, recruiting is not an easy thing. The biggest problem that they have nowadays, and the, and the rule of thumb was for every 10 people that they talked to, they would find one person that was qualified to join the, join the, the, the Navy. I can't speak for the Army, the Air Force, or the Marines. But, you know, the, the problem is, is that you've got people that call in, and the problem that, you fa- that they face is uh, they may not, they may not we- meet the weight standards. Okay. Uh, they've had a problem with law enforcement, you know, whether uh, a felony or whatever. So there's a lot of stuff that disqualifies uh, people from coming into the military today. And I think, you know, the Air Force and the Marine Corps and the Army are, are facing the same issues, you know, when they talk to people. You know, they, they, it's not just a matter of people not necessarily wanting to join. It's uh-huh. a lot of things that disqualify them. How long? So, how long have you been out of the recruiting? Uh, well, I, I, I retired from the Navy in 1993. Okay, so it's been <laughs> so, so it's been, been quite a while. while. 
Yeah, I've been out for a while. So I was I was public affairs officer for Navy recruiting when I first came here in 1986 until 1990. Okay. And then I went to back to work for them as a civilian in 1999 until 2003. But it hadn't changed really as far as, you know, qualifying people to join it, from the first time that I was here to the second time that I was here. Um, so, there, like I said, there's a lot of things that disqualify people from joining the military today. Uh, it's not necessarily just the fact that they don't want to join. It's okay. It's the fact that they're they're not qualified to join. Okay. When you were recruiting, was there any talk about racial quotas, racial goals, as far as recruiting? Not that I recall. No, it was it was basically about qualifications. If okay. you were qualified, if you met the weight standards, if you had a high school diploma, if you if you uh, didn't have a problem with the law or whatever. Uh, then they would talk to you, and they would they would uh, you know take they first of all they take you into the recruiting office. They talk to you about the military itself, that particular branch. Uh, they they give you a sort of a, a test initially to determine if you could even take the ASVAB test. Uh, the ASVAB is the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery Test uh-huh. that every person joining the military has to take. And if they do well on that, then of course. Uh, they can select a branch that if they're going into okay. the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, they can select a job that they would qualify okay. for based on those scores from that test. Okay, now, so, I, I am not on the inside at all, but I have heard, and I would love to hear your comments on it, that they have lowered, because of what you're saying, they have lowered the standards in order to increase recruiting. Are Are you aware at all of that? I'm not aware of it, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. And if you look at the, at college entrance exams in colleges around the country, I think they've done the same thing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you're right. I mean, you know, I, I hate to say that they've dumbed down the, the, the curriculum or whatever to get more people in the door, but but I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. Yeah, well, um, everybody else I, I has dumbed down their standards. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't prove it, but I I, I wouldn't be surprised. Well, Fred, thank you for your insight. Uh, I really appreciate it because you brought insight to the table that I certainly don't have, and I appreciate your call. And thank you for your service to our country. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. God bless you. All right. We need to take a break. 877-BOB-LIVE. 877-262-5483. Follow Bob on Twitter at twitter.com slash Live. Wow, wow, wow. What different stories. One in my left hand, one in my right hand. Let me give you the one in my right hand. Evidently, the uh, folks in Iceland and Denmark have basically decided that people with Down syndrome should not live. 
They do not have the right to live. They would be a burden on culture. They would be a burden on society. And it would just be much, much, much better if they were just aborted and not even given a chance to live. Iceland and—well, here's the headline. Let me read it to you. Iceland and Denmark have killed nearly everyone with Down syndrome. Yeah, the percentages are upwards of over 90%. Since we now have advanced testing that almost any couple expecting a baby can know for sure whether their child will be born with Down syndrome, those in Iceland and Denmark have basically said, nah, we don't, we don't want them. Quote, Some countries push universal prenatal testing, at least implicitly, for an explicit purpose. In Iceland and Denmark, Down syndrome has been nearly eliminated because almost all such babies are aborted. Uh, Now, folks, that's eugenics. We, uh, We eliminate the inferior, which is, by the way, The uh, thought process of Planned Parenthood's founder, Margaret Sanger. Yes, she was a eugenicist. She didn't think that inferior people should be given a chance to live. And, of course, that would include what she would consider Down syndrome. So, this is the story in my right hand. The people of Iceland and Denmark, the culture, the society in general, not just the medical community, but the community in general, has decided Down syndrome people should not be given the opportunity to live. That's the article in my right hand. Now, here in my left hand, headline, Spanish woman becomes first parliamentarian with Down syndrome in Europe. Here's the story. In uplifting news out of Spain, 45-year-old Mar Galceran has been elected to the parliament for that region of Spain on the regional ticket for the Conservative People's Party. Galceran has been involved in politics since the age of 18 when she first joined the party and was sworn in last September. She told the Guardian newspaper that her victory is unprecedented. And she's right. Galceran is the first parliamentarian with Down syndrome in Europe. People's Party leader Carlos Maison wrote, Welcome, Mar, her nickname. Welcome, Mar. Great news for politics and overcoming barriers. Augustin Madia Amor of the Down Syndrome Advocacy Group concurred, noting that the victory is groundbreaking. We haven't heard of anyone else. It's a huge step forward and an example of real inclusion. Uh, Gal Serrano is the only politician with Down Syndrome elected in Spain. However, Angela Bachiller became a city councilor Uh, A city councilor in, I can't even pronounce that name. This is another glass ceiling broken for an incredibly marginalized group. 
what a contrast. Iceland, Denmark, put them to death. Spain, let's elect someone who's qualified with Down syndrome to Parliament. Galceron said, society is starting to see that people with Down syndrome have a lot to contribute. But it's a very long road. You find all sorts on social media. There are people who support me, but there are also who think I'm not capable. But these are people who don't know me or my background. I want people to see me as a person, not just for my disability. By the way, here in America, 75% of children diagnosed with Down syndrome will be aborted. 75%. That's here in America. In the United Kingdom... 90% of children diagnosed with Down syndrome will be aborted. In Canada, 90% of children diagnosed with Down syndrome will be aborted. I don't know of anything more hypocritical than having Special Olympics, which I am absolutely fully for. But I don't know of anything more hypocritical then liberal left organizations, companies, etc., talking about how wonderful, wonderful, wonderful Special Olympics are because of these special people, and the very, very same person would advocate that those same people would be aborted. 